You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Despite the slow pace of the vaccine rollout, continued load shedding and now water shedding in some parts of the country, certainly here in Johannesburg, economists remain upbeat that uh, economic growth could exceed forecasts for the remainder of the year following that surprise first quarter beat yesterday. The good news is that South Africa's first quarter GDP grew by 4.6% on a quarter-on-quarter seasonally adjusted annualized basis, according to uh, StatsSA. Economists had been more conservative in their projections, expecting quarter-on-quarter annualized growth to come in at 3.1%. On a non-annualized basis, growth was 1.1%. Year-on-year, the economy contracted 3.2%, though, uh, and mining was the star of the show, digging the country out of the COVID economic hole. Uh, but the print was largely expected as the market barely moved on the news, while our bonds, our R2030 bond improved slightly, reflecting, I think, the better denominator in our debt-to-GDP ratio. So what can we make of this first quarter reading? How sustainable is it? I'm joined now uh, by uh, a trio of uh, economists. Uh, we've got Kevin Lings, Chief Economist uh, at Standard, Hiku Pinar, who's a Chief Economist at the Bureau for Economic Research, and Mike Schussler, founder of Economists.coza. Uh, just kick us off, Kevin. Um, in that report, uh, I think the market had been expecting a strong rebound in the first quarter. Uh, what really surprised you on the upside? I guess there are a couple of things that surprised. The one was the fact that almost every sector recorded positive growth. I think that was encouraging. We didn't anticipate that across all of the the major sectors. The second, I guess, was the strength in the business services sector or the broader finance sector, given that credit demand is fairly lacklustre. uh, That certainly was more substantial than what we anticipated. And then I guess on the negative was the fact that agriculture declined in the quarter. I I think the agricultural season is having a good season. I didn't anticipate that. But overall, you would say um, it certainly was broadly uh, positive. And uh, clearly, as you said earlier, the mining activity uh, is capturing kind of the headlines, headlights, if you, if you like. And I can understand that because obviously you've got a huge pickup in international trade, commodity prices, that seems sustainable. So to me, mm-hmm. that's the kind of standout feature in the South African economy right now. Mm. And it's interesting, Mike, to bring you in that when we listen to the president talk about his successes so far, the RAND strength, uh, the strength of our commodities and our exports, our current account surpluses, not many of those thanks to uh, government policy right now. I mean, really, it's just a factor of the strength of commodity prices that we're seeing, uh, that the RAND is so strong, that we've got this lovely current account surplus, the 12 month in a row uh, current account surplus. What stood out for you in the first quarter numbers yesterday? Well, I think the one thing that stood out is, like Kevin said, the mining, and that is purely commodity price driven mainly. There is a bit of a volume rebound, but most of it um, is definitely prices. I mean, we had a, in March 75 billion come in from the mineral side uh, just in one month. We're all going to watch tomorrow's figures uh, for that. That's going to be a, a very important one. I think it will still be up, but 75 billion income for a month for a single sector is, and it's not a large sector, is huge. That spreads into the rest of the economy because they buy stuff and the likes. On the business services side, I just want to uh, agree with Kevin, but it's not the traditional finance side sort of that's really done. It's more the the security side. If you look at the amount of new security guys, uh, according to the Labour Force survey, employed was nearly 200,000. 
So it's making me driven by crime, of all things. Um, the other thing I think that we must just remember is that inventories were built up. I do a transport um, a thing where we also look at storage and handling. Uh, ours was a little lower. That we had a 6.1, and they had an 8.7, I think, increase in uh, 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 inventories. Um, I'm not saying they should be the same, but the direction should be similar. So with the world supply chain problems that we have, I mean, we have um, record prices of container uh, shipping. We have record prices, or not record, but 12-year uh, high prices for um, dry goods, Baltic dry index and the 12-year highs. Uh, containers of all-time highs. Uh, we've never seen these sort of prices before. Um, but ultimately, I think, uh, and with the, the sort of waves of ships coming in and then nothing and then out and the same, a lot more people are using air freight now because of the shipping problems. Um, we, we, we do see um, that the inventories are probably building partly through confidence, um, part, but partly through fear because you, you're not sure you're going to get all your stuff. I know guys in the IT game, they, they buy an extra 10 laptops, say, because yeah. they don't know when the next set of laptops are going to come from. So certainly there's also a lot of strength on the inventory side, and that might continue uh, to a large extent, despite, say, power outages and water outages that you spoke about, Michael. Mm -hmm. It does make reading these numbers particularly interesting uh, at the back end of a pandemic, which has created all of these uh, supply-side shocks through supply chains being disrupted, as you pointed out, Mike, and I think a very interesting uh, point that on inventories. Heku, for you, uh, what, what stood out yesterday? For, for me, it was also the, the agriculture print to, to Kevin's point. Uh, I was chatting to uh, John Hudson of, of Nedbank's Agriculture unit yesterday and our citrus our, our nuts uh, you know our export earning potential in our agriculture sector has really been a standout performer over the last 12 months so I expected a bit of a better number in agriculture any any indication as to why that print was a little bit lower than we uh, probably would have thought it would be no, I'm really not sure I mean I, I saw some stuff from from the agricultural economists lost or yesterday, sorry, and, and they were also a bit perplexed. But I think we shouldn't read too much into that one quarter's uh, print, Michael. Um, I mean, if you add it to the citrus story you just said, I mean, the National the Crop Estimates Committee is talking about a bumper maize crop again above 16 million tons. So I, I think the, the agricultural numbers will, will pick up quite nicely uh, as we go uh, through the rest of the year. Just to come back to, to what also stood out, I mean, I agree with, uh, with Kevin and Mike, although I would just point out on the inventory side, so the inventories made a very big positive contribution to GDP, but that's not because inventories increased, it's just because they declined by less than in the fourth quarter. So you still had a big inventory decline, but it's just a lot less than what we had in, in the fourth quarter, and that then boosts the the, the GDP. Mm. But just the other, the other point to make is we haven't spoken about the investment side. So if you look at GDP from the demand side and, and we think of, I mean, you made, you started the conversation of, you know, what is government actually doing to, to boost the numbers? Well, the one number you need to look at is the private investment number. And that was quite a big negative in, in the first quarter. Um, and as a percentage of GDP, that has come down for a number of quarters, and it's now sitting at 10% of, of GDP. 
you go back five years or so, it was around 13%. Uh, so I guess that tells us that, yes, um, the growth recovery has been stronger than, than expected, but you're still not at a point where business is, is confident uh, to actually be investing or expanding capacity. And that's mm -hmm. obviously what we need to also create jobs mm -hmm. uh, going forward. And the National Development Plan uh, puts that figure that we need at 30% of GDP of gross fixed capital formation. So uh, well, well below that NDP figure. Uh, and that must be a major concern, Kevin, for government to, to focus on the conditions, right, to create uh, the incentive to invest. Yeah, I'd agree with Hugo. That was the, the, the standout disappointment with the overall data is we just see nothing on the fixed investment side. And remember that the government made a lot of noise around private-public partnerships and these, these shovel-ready projects. They gazetted a whole lot of projects and they told us that these projects were going to go ahead fairly quickly. And clearly that hasn't happened. And I think it's a, it's a major limitation on the pace uh, that South Africa can maintain in terms of overall economic growth. Unfortunately, it's also clear that while we're getting uh, above expectations in terms of growth, it's not really translating into employment because you really see companies recognize that they're able to get back to where they were in terms of volume and activity with less people. And I, and I just don't think that you're going to find uh, that uh, we start to add significant number of jobs without a strong fixed investment cycle. So to me, uh, we've got to focus heavily on private-public partnerships, on infrastructure, and on getting the investment component much well, I think that beeping we heard in the background must have been uh, Kevin Ling's inverter. So I think we've lost him for now. Mike Schussler, I think Kevin raised a, a very interesting point there. We were told last year by Jose Enzo Ramakopa inside the presidency, we've got these shovel-ready projects. This is going to be our big catalyst. We're going to get infrastructure to lead our economic growth and still nothing. And uh, the, what I do see are videos that are shared of uh, construction mafia going and doing the rounds, burning yellow equipment on site. Uh, it really doesn't look very pretty when it comes to the infrastructure um, growth equation. Yes, I think we have a huge problem with the infrastructure now. If we look at certain parts of the infrastructure, they're not coming back quickly for other reasons. I think uh, shopping malls, for example, aren't going to expand in uh, the, the post-COVID world. It's all gone online. Uh, offices, definitely, we've seen offices being uh, made, um, sleeping quarters and... and, and um, homes and everything they're doing it in Sunning Hill and Rosebank, pretty much everywhere. And I think the other thing is um, we must just keep in mind that um, certain things just aren't back. For example, travel. So because travel's not back, you're not going to get that big infrastructure investment in a big plane. And those are the sort of things. But yes, we've got a very bad situation. We haven't seen mining uh, pick up because the commodity prices have been strong for close on a, well, not a year yet, but nine, ten months. One would have expected a little bit of a turnaround. But I think that shows that there's still some uncertainty because people are not sure how this COVID thing is going to play out yet. Uh, that's the one thing. The other thing is that because our mining regulations, agricultural, um, you know, potential is, is probably hammered a bit. Uh, with EWC, um, those things aren't coming back quickly. And as you also pointed out, you know, 10% of GDP 
that's very, very little. Um, I think you're looking at the average uh, market in the world, the emerging market being about 26% um, to GDP for uh, fixed investment. I think that's total, not just uh, some, but our government fixed investment is less than three. So, you know, we're half, um, if we take the 10 and the three, it's yeah. 13 compared to 26, we're half the level of the uh, rest of the emerging market. And we're also half the level of their growth, if that. Um, and that is the big factor. I mean, for many years, I've been doing employment numbers. And the one thing that's got a very strong correlation over all the years, all the different sets of employment numbers we've been through, has been fixed investment. If fixed investment grows, employment grows. And if it declines, employment seems to decline. So uh, this, is, this is really not a good thing. And yeah. It's got to start happening, and mm. one starts thinking the politicians like talking, they don't know how to implement at all. Yeah, it, it, once again, it is all about a lack of implementation. Operation Vulunglela, who was meant to uh, unblock some of those bottlenecks, some of the constipated pipelines and infrastructure, doesn't appear to be having an impact uh, just yet. But how much is ESCOM a, a, an inhibiting factor, constraint still, to business for, for making those long-term capital-intensive fixed investment decisions if you still have so much uncertainty around power supply? So, Michael, I like to draw a graph where you, where you plot ESCOM's energy availability factor against that private sector fixed investment number as a percent of GDP. And, I mean, it's no surprise that the last five years, so ESCOM's availability factor, let's go back to 2015 more or less, it was around 75%. Uh, I mean, in other words, 75% of the installed capacity is available. Yeah. Uh, so far this year, that is running at around 60%. So, I mean, a dramatic decline. It's not new, we know this. Um, but, I mean, again, if you then plot that against investment, you know, it, it, there is quite a correlation, which is not surprising. So, I guess I'm just trying to, to agree with you um, that there's little doubt that that is an inhibitor. And especially if you are a uh, in a sector like heavy manufacturing uh, or mining that that uses a, a lot of electricity, um, if the, if you don't have a security of supply, and of course the second angle is the price of electricity. So not only um, has the security con gone down, but the price or the cost of electricity has of course ballooned over the last. A decade or so. So that combination of factors, um, I think, is an important part of the story why yeah. uh, the private sector is, is, is not uh, investing. So obviously, and even ESCOM is saying that we need um, to open up the market um, for the IPPs, for self-generation, uh, to take that burden off ESCOM, uh, get more capacity online, and, and, and that presumably may make quite a difference in terms of our uh, overall growth output. I mean, it would be Michael, a, a no-brainer, Mike, yeah, in any other country. Yes, please. I, I just want to uh, add to this. You know, that, that decline from 75 to 60, we would have felt even worse in today's um, load shedding because the, the refineries, three refineries are closed. Um, Muscle Bay hasn't been working for six months. Engine hasn't been working for about a similar, and I think Caltech's a little bit longer. 
None of them are open. They use a lot of things. We've also got smelters here with AMSA. They've closed one of their steel plants, uses a lot of energy. Not all their smelters are working. If these things were going at full capacity right now, we would be in a dire straits situation. I think the three refineries itself would have added two uh, stages, uh, further stages for us. It would be about 2,000 megawatts that the three of them use. So, um, roughly speaking, that would have really hampered us. We wouldn't be loadshedding stage two. We would be four right now. And if we then add the steel and that, maybe we would even be at stage five. So that tells you how bad the situation is. And if we ever get these refineries back, engine looks um, unlikely. Moss gas, probably if they get that um, uh, Brawlpada um, gas field from Total going, that might come back. I'm not too sure. But, I mean, we, we're going to struggle. We, we are yeah. honestly going to struggle in this country. We, we don't see everything because a lot of things are hidden underneath the, you know, the water like an iceberg in this case on electricity but the fact and, is mike uh, just to interrupt I don't think you we're getting honest uh, mm -hmm. honest um we're starting to get honest more honest uh, explanations now but i don't think we honestly know the impact on mm -hmm. on the economy when we don't um, see that underneath there's a lot of things that have closed down uh factories in waveville i went there the other day i'd say one out of every two factories is closed there but we have it within our power, our capacity as government, to change that almost with a stroke of a pen. I mean, we just take the amendment yeah. to Schedule 2, for example. If we allowed self-generation up to 50 megawatts, A, you would free up the electricity constraint, which uh, ESCOM is clearly unable to sort out on its own with its aging fleet, and B, you would see an uptick in fixed investment because now you've got energy intensive users investing in building their own power plants uh, be it renewable or or uh, otherwise uh, and then that, that then stimulates local construction at the same time it would appear to any sane policymaker anywhere else in the world to be uh, an absolute no-brainer why are we not doing this yeah that's a good question I, I don't I'm sorry jumping in here but the, the point that you make is basically government is prepared for 13 years to have uh, not enough power in the economy and not changing the laws and keep on feeding at the top. That's what's happening because essentially um, the coal prices are up three, over 300% local coal prices compared to 100% for international coal prices in ranting, both of them. So ultimately uh, 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 it's still being used uh, uh, as a feeding trough for the political factions of the governing party. And uh, it says to me that the governing party is not interested in fixing the economy. They're interested in fixing their own pockets. That's, um, and, and that's not just my view. That's a, a view that's coming through many businesses. They just don't say it. And that's mm. also concerning because I think we should be talking a lot more honestly to each other. Uh, I'll leave it there. Absolutely, a lot more frankly. Uh, just to uh, move along now to where we did see a, a decent uptick, it was in household expenditure, Hiku, up 4.7%. And I guess if one looks at what's happened through the pandemic, households, those that have been able to work from home through load shedding and, and water interruptions and everything else, and who have remained employed, uh, are not spending as much as they used to perhaps on travel or other areas because of the lockdown. But we are seeing certain other areas of retail, I think, of DIY and home building really benefiting from this. How are you reading the, the state of the South African consumer through these numbers? Look, I, I think it, that's exactly right. Um, I mean,
mean, on one level, it is it, it is quite surprising how resilient um, consumer spending has been. Um, besides the factors that you mentioned, I think those are the most important ones that simply, especially the high-income consumers that may have gone on, on overseas trips, um, uh, they, they don't do that now. Um, the JSEs are quite nicely on a 12-month view, so there may be some a bit of wealth effects coming through. Their interest rates are at, at rock bottom levels. So there are, especially again for the, for the high-income uh, consumers, there are a number of factors that suggest that there's a, a bit of, uh, it's got a pent-up savings, um, pent-up demand uh, that we're now starting to see move into the durable and the semi-durable uh, spending and as you mentioned on, on the hardware as well. So I think you're starting to see a bit of a rotation at the sort of peak of the pandemic, the non-durable, the food and the beverages um, retailers did better. Um, so they were of course necessities, they, they were open, some of the other retailers are not. But now you're starting to see a bit of a shift away from that into the more clothing and footwear, the more durable type um, retailers and perhaps also a factor there is that the non-durable retailers um, I think also got a bit of support from the um, the social grant top-ups and uh, the social relief of the stress uh, grant and of course those temporary support measures have now fallen uh, away so that income support um, uh, is no longer uh, there um, so I guess you know, so we have to watch that on the non-durable side. Uh, but it seems for the time being, the, the durables and, and the semis, also with the RAND um, being quite strong so on, the, on the import side, those prices uh, are being kept um, at bay. So I guess that that can continue for, uh, for the foreseeable future. But what about the elephant in the room? You know, to Mike's earlier point, I think South Africans, businesses, South African citizens, taxpayers are really just cutful with all the corruption, with all the promises of reform, with all the promises of change, yet the more things change, the more things stay the same. Hiku? Well, I think, Michael, unfortunately, people are voting with their feet. Um, and, and I mean, I continue to hear stories about, um, you know, uh, highly skilled South Africans, uh, two prof you know, uh, the mother and the father, professional people that are just um, packing up and, and then starting that, know for the future of their children unfortunately they they want to go to Canada or, or wherever the case may be so I mean I, I think you are seeing the impact here through number of, of, of areas and I think one of the key ones is that we're losing our, our, our most skilled uh, people unfortunately and that is a major problem Mike that is a generational issue to fix especially in a country that makes it very difficult to import those skills through our overly uh, officious visa regulations. Just your, your final comments on the first quarter number. I think a lot of people will be looking at this and wondering now what our full year forecasts are. Mike, your, your forecast for the full year? I'm now moving to about 45 4.6% growth. Um, I think the other thing is because of the second quarter, we're already seeing it on the banks of Africa data. April was still good, but there's a flattening off in May, and I think it's those end of the distress grants, the, the commodity prices have sort of peaked. So probably April will be, in RAND terms at least, for the mining sector, a peak. There might be more later on, but I think May will probably be a bit lower than that. 
So I think the, the sort of money flowing into the economy and the load shedding, I think the second quarter will probably be a lot slower growth um, than the um, first quarter, quarter on quarter. Obviously, annual growth is going to look uh, pretty good, <laughs> you, you know, coming from nothing. Yeah. Um, but I think we, we this year, I'm, I'm not too concerned about this year at the moment. Yes, the load shedding is a concern, the water sh uh, shortages in Joburg, I've gone through that too. But I think, you know, ultimately, the big test is going to be when we get closer to that full capacity. And that is going to be the big test. And I'm for the electricity, for everything. Yeah. And that is where I think next year is going to be yeah. uh, the sifting year. This yeah. year is still the recovery year. Yeah. We're getting back onto our feet. We will see tourism open, and that will help us towards the end of the year. I'm quite sure of that. Um, because of the vaccination program, uh, nearly 0.45% uh, of the world's population every day is getting a dose. Um, that's, you know, a very quick vaccination route that we haven't seen. So I'm, I'm still okay for this year. I think it, it starts for me, yeah. the, the big issue is going to be next year. If we have anything like commodity prices collapsing, something like that, or um, a drought and, and then the load shedding and the normal stuff happens, uh, that I think is going to be a real test for this economy and for things like fixed investments. Yeah, it's still a major constraint to our uh, future potential growth rates until we get those issues, uh, those structural issues around power and infrastructure sorted out. Uh, that was Mike Schisler of Economist.coza and Heku Pinar, Chief Economist at the Bureau of Economic Research, running the rule over the first quarter GDP.